Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Good morning. Just a quick announcement. So some of you might have received an incorrect bulletin. Let me just check the date. The top of probably page six. Some of you might have received uh, next week's bulletin. So if you did, it will say 17 December. If you wouldn't mind, after the service, just returning that to the, to the welcome desk for, so we can use it next week. Uh, well, it's part two of our Advent series, Why Was Jesus Born? Uh, last week, uh, we looked at the fact that we, were, we are lost in our natural state, <clears throat> but the Lord Jesus Christ came to save us. That's why one of the reasons why he was, he was born, and today we're looking at the next reason why the Lord Jesus Christ was born. And I wonder what comes to your mind when you hear the word slavery. Uh, maybe uh, for many, you will think of race-based slavery in the Caribbean and in North America. Maybe you've seen movies like 12 Years a Slave or Roots, and that's the first uh, image or thought that comes to your mind when you hear the word slavery. Maybe for others, you think of the Bible. The Bible mentions slavery uh, frequently, gives teachings on slavery. We also have the account in Exodus of the Jews who were slaves in Egypt. Um, also, Paul speaks about slavery at, at the time of the Greco-Roman period or the Roman Empire. Maybe that's what comes to your mind. You think of what the Scriptures have to say about it. Maybe for others, a more contemporary issue is sex trafficking and child slavery, uh, people being kidnapped and taken to uh, other countries to be used as slaves. But probably none of you thought of yourselves as slaves, uh, unless you're a narcissistic teenager uh, who thought, you know, my, I'm a slave, my parents never let me play Xbox or PlayStation 12 hours a day, uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a type of slave. Uh, or maybe, you, you know, you're somebody who feels sorry for yourself. They make me work 40 hours a week. My boss is a, a slave driver. Uh, but, but the likelihood is, is high that probably none of you thought of yourselves as, as slaves. And yet the Bible says, by nature, we are all slaves. Uh, and I think one of the reasons why we don't ever really think in those categories is because of the many freedoms that we do enjoy by God's grace. Uh, but I would argue that in the West, and South Africa is heavy, heavily influenced by the West, that freedom, that concept of freedom is really an, an idol. Uh, Caleb and I had the privilege of, of going to the States in, in October, and uh, Caleb, my son, and uh, we went to Washington, D.C., and I, I booked a tour of the capital. So it's not 
that is the capital city, but there is a building called the Capitol, confusingly spelt with an O uh, at the C-A-P-I-T-O-L, not A-L. Uh, it's a beautiful building, and uh, we went on a tour, and right in the middle there is this huge dome, and you can stand inside, and, and it, I don't know how many meters up it is, and we, the tour guide said to us, this is called the Temple of Liberty or the Temple of Freedom. So very interesting, right at the capital of America, the most important building where the Congress and Senate and all these things meet, the center of that, they say, this is a temple. So already when you hear the word temple, you know this is about worship, not a temple to God, but to the God of freedom and liberty. And on the roof, there is this fresco, this painting of, it's a very bizarre painting because it has these Greek gods and goddesses, and then in the, right there is this guy dressed in sort of 1700 military regalia, and that's George Washington, and it's called the apotheosis of George Washington, which really means the deification of George Washington. George Washington is seen as the hero who brought freedom to, to America, and so they're saying he is deified. Uh, so, very interesting, this glorification of freedom, uh, even in here in South Africa, I was at a concert a couple of nights ago, and the choir sang our national anthem, beautiful national anthem, and right at the end, what does it say? We will live and strive for freedom in South Africa, our land. Now, certainly freedom is a very, very important thing. If you are going to have an idol, it's, it's a good one, Okay. <laughs> It's one of the better ones. But we don't, we don't say we will live and strive for holiness. We will live and strive for love, more love for God. Uh, there is this idea of freedom as the ultimate thing. And so we have so many privileges, the freedom to vote, the freedom to choose where to live, the freedom to choose what to buy, uh, unless they're financial constraints. So this is always a problem. Reality confronts our freedoms. Uh, uh, but we have freedom to choose very often what clothes we'll wear, freedom to choose who to date or who to marry. Uh, not, not, it's not common in the West for there to be arranged marriages. And so there are these tremendous freedoms that we enjoy, even the freedom to meet here this morning, praise God for that. But we can begin to think we're not actually slaves. Uh, we don't have a problem. But the Bible says, by nature, we are all slaves to sin. The Lord Jesus himself in John chapter 8, verse 34 says, Truly, truly, whenever you hear that, if you grew up with the King James, verily, verily, whenever you hear that, it's important. Okay? Jesus is using repetition to emphasize it. And he says this, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So let me stop here. If you've never sinned, you're welcome to leave. Um, this doesn't apply to you. Well, you'd be very arrogant to leave, isn't that right? There is only one person who has never sinned, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So according to the Lord Jesus, every person who has sinned is a slave to sin. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But notice what he says there. If you yield your members to sin, you're a slave to 
to sin. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 2, verse 19, he says about these false teachers, he says, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that, he is enslaved. When we go to the Old Testament, the great epochal, redemptive account of the Old Testament is the Exodus. It's the high point, really, uh, of redemptive history in the Old Testament. It is the, the account that the prophets and the poets look back to, to rejoice at, to remember God was so gracious to us. We were slaves in Egypt, and God delivered us. He bared His powerful arm, and through these, these powerful plagues, these mighty plagues, He delivered us uh, out of Egypt. And so they remember that, and they, they praise God for that. They also use it as a warning to Israel that if they don't obey God, they will go back into slavery, and that does happen to them at times in their history. Uh, it's a powerful symbol of the salvation that Christ brings. Uh, the Old Testament, it's a physical liberation. The New Testament, the focus is on spiritual liberation. Let me just say up front, otherwise it would be disingenuous of me, uh, Tim Keller has shaped a lot of my thinking about this. He was the first one to, many years ago, to, uh, I think it's on a, a series on preaching to a postmodern world, who highlighted that the Bible looks at sin from different perspectives. So we tend to think of sin as simply law-breaking, and that is 100% correct. Sin is breaking the law. So, but it's easy to just think, okay, well, that's what it is. You've done, done the wrong thing. Uh, but the Bible also says there's other ways that, or looks at sin in other ways, and one of them is as slavery. And he says it's very important in a postmodern world because many people don't care about breaking the law. Isn't that right? Uh, you, you go and talk to people on campus maybe and say, you know, it's a sin to sleep with your girlfriend. They don't feel conviction about that. It's a sin to sleep around. It's a sin to lie. It's a sin to take what doesn't belong to you. It's a sin to swear, to curse, to blaspheme. And for many people, it's like water off a duck's back. It's, it's, it's really irrelevant. They're not convicted about those things uh, maybe in more traditional cultures or maybe a few decades ago, people would have been convicted. They would have been ashamed. People used to try and hide their, their sin, isn't that right, at certain times in history? Uh, and I'm not saying that any, either one is better. Probably this is better, I would think, because hypocrisy is so destructive. Uh, you, you, know, you pretend to be good, as we saw with the parable of the two sons. So, so maybe this is better, that people are just like, whatever. Uh, and they do their sin openly. But it, it is a reality that people are not convicted if you just say that's wrong to do. Because the culture, everyone is saying it's not wrong to do. All the television series, all the movies, uh, the air that they breathe, they're saying it's not wrong. This is liberation. This is freedom, that you can do these things. You can enjoy these things. In fact, no longer are people ashamed of it. They're proud of it. They're proud of their sexual immorality. They're proud of their anger and their cursing on blogs and all of these things. People are, are no longer ashamed of those things. In fact, now, Christians are the ones who are seen as being immoral. 
It used to be that people would say, well, I disagree with Christianity, but they are the more moral people. Uh, They have a moral standard that is higher than my own. That's no longer the case. People look at Christians as immoral. Uh, We are bigots. We are full of hate. Uh, That's how they they view Christians. So what are we going to do? Well, Tom Keller argues, and I think rightly is, because of man's obsession with freedom is to show them that they're not actually free. And that's a, an aspect of sin that the Bible shows. You, you think you're free, but you're not. You're actually enslaved to your lusts. And so I want us to look at a, an account uh, in, in the Old Testament. Uh, you can turn there so long. Numbers chapter 11, after the children of Israel had been been rescued out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness. And now we want, I want us to learn a few things here, that we can see that sin is not just not ticking a box, not just not doing the right thing, but it's sin is actually portrayed in the Bible as a force, as a power that controls you. In fact, right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel, we referenced that last week. You remember... Uh, Cain and Abel bring their offerings to the Lord, and the Lord accepts Abel's offering, but in, he wouldn't even look at Cain's offering. That's the, the, the language of the Hebrew. Uh, he, it, it's, it's, it's really in stark contrast to Genesis chapter 1. You remember in Genesis chapter 1, God looks, and it was good. Every day he looks, and it's good. He makes this, he makes this, it's good, it's good. He looks, and it's good. Uh, Genesis chapter 4, he, he won't even look at Cain's offering. Okay, we don't have time to go into the reason for that, but it was because of sin. And the Lord says to him, because Cain is upset, his countenance drops, he's, he's, he's uh, really upset. And the Lord says this to him. He says to, to him in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. Okay, you see how the Lord portrays sin as a force as a, a, like a monster that wants to control you. Desire here is not one of, of, of you know, love. It's one of control. Its desire is to control you. It's crouching, uh, ready to pounce. So the image is there to remind us maybe of like a predator, an animal, like a lion or a leopard that is ready to pounce and control. Just another thing there is that uh, sin always looks smaller than it really is, isn't that right? It always looks like it's just crouching. It's just a little little kitten. Okay. Uh, it's not so big, uh, but it's made itself look small, and it will, it will pounce on you and control you. It is a force. So in Numbers chapter 11 from verse 4, we're told, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. There is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Okay, so uh, they're in the wilderness. They've been delivered out of uh, bondage and slavery. And they're They've been given this food that God has provided for them called manna. We don't know exactly 
what it was. The Bible doesn't tell us, but God provides for them. He provides food and water for them, and uh, this is their response. And so we're going to look at at three aspects to sin as an enslaving power, Uh, three, three things that sin does to us as an enslaving power from this this passage. Um, The first thing is, well, let me give you the three. Sin affects your emotions. Sin affects your thinking. And sin affects your will. Sin affects your emotions, your thinking, and your will. So the first thing is how sin affects one's emotions. Uh, Look at verse 4. Now, the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, okay? A strong desire. Literally, in the Hebrew, it is they had a craving, craving, okay? A desire, desire, okay? Uh, that, again, is, is repetition for emphasis. It's not just a simple passing whim, you know? Yeah, wouldn't mind an ice cream. This is, this is overwhelming. This is, I must have this. This is... Uh, a strong craving, an all-consuming craving, a, f- a powerful emotion that I must have this. And in fact, the, the, as you, you look down to verse 19, the Lord says, okay, I'll give you meat. And I'm not just going to give you meat for one day or two days, this is verse 19, or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month. And the Lord says this, until it comes out at your nostrils. And becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. Isn't that interesting? What, what, what that means is this craving for meat is so strong that the Lord gives it to them and they don't say, oh, that was great. Uh, we haven't had a bribe for ages. Um, I'm really satisfied now. You know, tomorrow manna is fine. We can just go back to that because now I've had enough. No, the next day and the next day. And it's never enough so that they keep eating and eating and eating until it's coming out their nostrils. This is a grotesque picture, but it's a a graphic picture so that we would get an idea of how grotesque sin is and how powerful sin is. This craving, it's never enough. Psychologists talk about the tolerance effect and sociologists and those who deal with people uh, who are addicts. uh, now, not all addiction is sin, but sin is addiction, okay? Every sin is an addiction. You're enslaved to it, and it affects your tolerance. You need more to get the same high or the same rush or the same buzz, isn't that right? Okay? Uh, the person who thinks, oh, well, you know, alcohol or pornography or food or power or whatever it is will satisfy me, they never say, it's enough, isn't that right? I need something more, and, I, and, and people will go deeper and deeper into these things. Uh, drug addicts have to take more to get the same experience. That's the picture here, the meat. They keep craving and craving, and it's never enough. It's the law of diminishing returns. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 15 says, The leech has two daughters, give and give. The idea there is of greed, but you can apply it to everything. The leech, we know that. It's a blood-sucking leech. You know, we, we talk about people like that. Well, you shouldn't. 
Okay? But, uh, <laughs> but what do we mean by that? That's a person who just takes and takes and takes because a leech, like a mosquito, just sucks your blood. But the leech never says it's enough. There's two daughters, give, give. I want more and more and more and more. And it's the same with sin. It affects our emotions. It's never enough. We have to keep going back. Keep going back for more and more and more. Second thing sin affects is your thinking. We're so proud of how rational we are. The 21st century influence of science and technology and we think we're so clever. The Bible is very clear that we're not so clever. Might know a lot of stuff about the world and, and science and physics and those things, but when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to sin, we're fools very often. By nature, in fact, we are fools. We're without understanding. But sin continues to affect one's thinking. Look at what they say in verse 5. This is remarkable. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Isn't this remarkable? I mean, it sounds like they were at Club Med or something. They, they, you know, they were, they were on an all-expense-paid all vacation. Uh, fish every day. They were on the beach in Mozambique. They, they got fish, crayfish, you know, whatever they liked. There was all this fruit and just glorious. But we, what were they? They were slaves. Of course the food was free. What, like... <laughs> They didn't give you money to go and buy food. You were a slave. They just provided you with your rations. That's the most insane thing you can think of. You got beaten with whips every day and never a day of rest. You were not your own. This was not humane slavery. This was not biblical slavery or anything like this. This was brutal. You can read the history They were treated like animals. They, they were less than animals. They, they, their lives meant nothing. They were there simply to build things. And if they died in the process, so be it. Just because, you know, that's like someone in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany say, sure, but they used to give us food for free. It would be ridiculous. But you see, that's what sin does. It makes us nuts. I remember listening to reading Wayne Grudem. I think it's in his systematic theology. He said, sin is insanity just stood out for me. It is. It's not clever. It's insanity, absolute madness to sin against God, to yield yourself to a slave master like Satan. But you know, you, maybe you think, well, I, yeah, they're, they're so stupid. How do you think when you sin? Well, I mean, I... I lied to that person, but it was legitimate, you know, because they've been pretty nasty to me. We justify our sin, don't we? Well, the Lord hasn't given me a wife, so it's okay if I look at pornography. That's actually his problem. I'm justified in doing this. I don't drink too much alcohol. I'm fine. I'm in total control. I don't, I don't have a problem with this. I'm not chasing popularity and likes on Facebook. I'm just, you know, I'm just a social person. I don't need to forgive that person because, you know, they, 
We dehumanize people. That's how we, we stop thinking biblically. We reduce them to less than human. That justifies our unforgiveness and our ugliness to them. We justify not paying our taxes. Well, they don't provide. There's huge potholes. Why must I pay taxes to that? Because God says, okay? Why? Am, it's full of corruption. I'm not going to do it. Doesn't, do you think the Roman Empire was, you know, <laughs> full of love and, and, you know, flowers and no corruption? Go and read history. Let me just challenge on that. The more you read history, the more you won't say silly things. Okay, hopefully. <laughs> if you read a lot of history. Okay. And Paul wrote when, when Jesus spoke, it was far worse than what the freedoms we enjoy. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But you see, we justify our sin because we stop thinking properly. Sin affects every part of us. Thirdly, it affects your willpower. Reduced willpower. Notice what they say in verse 6. Now our strength is dried up. We don't have meat. What's the point? We can't carry on. We, it's impossible for me to carry on. I have to have this. Okay. Unless I have this, I, I, I can't carry on. I need this. Otherwise, I just can't get through the day. I need this. You see, your willpower becomes less and less. You can't say no anymore. Just give in to it. Now, maybe there's some of you who think you don't have a problem. It's a bit bizarre if you ask me, but maybe you are. <laughs> maybe you do. You think, no, I've never really had a problem with, with saying no. I don't, I don't battle with being a, quite a nice person. Well, listen to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read two verses from it. Romans 7, verse 14, Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh, sold into sin's power. Paul says that. I'm enslaved. I have been sold into sin's power. There it is. Sin as a power, as a force, as a tyrant. Verse 21, he says, So I discover this principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is with me. The only reason you've never felt that is because you've never tried to be good enough. Maybe that didn't make sense. Okay. <laughs> Say it again. The only reason you haven't battled is because you've never tried to be very good. Okay. Let me challenge you. Try from today to follow the, the golden rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just for, 12, just for the rest of today. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay. Do unto others as you would have them. The way you love yourself, cherish yourself, treat yourself, honor yourself, use the same force and energy and power towards others. Do that today. Okay. Go home, your family, and say, whatever is best for them, and however I can love them and show them love the way I love myself, okay, the way I always think of myself, I'm now going to think of you. I'm going to speak graciously and kindly. I'm going to, I'm going to speak the truth in love. I'm going to encourage. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to be self-righteous. I'm not going to be passive-aggressive. 
I'm not going to be deceitful. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm not going to abuse good gifts. All of those things. And you will soon see exactly what Paul says is true. When I want to do what is good, I find evil is right there. Okay. You will find that sin is a power. Okay. And hopefully that will humble you. And the, the desire is that we would all cry out to the Lord. Because it's a pretty bleak picture, isn't it? It's very dark, that the power of sin. And, and if you've all been honest, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. And each person will probably battle more with some sins than others. But you know that the power of sin in your life and how it stops you from thinking clearly, it affects your emotions, it affects your willpower. What hope do we have? Well, our series is, Why Was Jesus Born? And today, it is because he, one of the reasons is he came to set us free from that slavery. In Luke chapter 4, uh, I think most of us know John, you know, if you said, okay, what's the first miracle Jesus performed? Most, most people will know. It's in John's gospel, Jesus turned water into wine. But do you know the first sermon that Jesus preached that's recorded for us? It's Luke chapter 4. It's his first recorded sermon. It's after his baptism, and he's been in the wilderness, and he comes back, and he goes home. He goes back to Nazareth. Not where he was born, but where he grew up. Nazareth. It says there in verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Isn't that it's just a bonus application? Can people say that of you? As was his or her custom, they went to church on the Lord's Day. Okay? It's true of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? You could say if anyone could afford not to go to church, it's the Lord Jesus. But he doesn't. He comes to be with God's people to worship his Father. And so he's there on the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And he begins to quote from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Those who are bound, those who are enslaved, those who are in chains, in bondage, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and everyone's looking at him. In verse 21, he says to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. See the audacity of the Lord Jesus Christ? He takes this passage. He says, I am the fulfillment of this. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. I am the one who will set people free. I am the one who will set at liberty those who are oppressed. I will proclaim liberty to the captives. He says, I am the one who has come to fulfill this. In the Old Testament, it was a year of jubilee, a year when? when slaves were set free. So in Israel, uh, God in his grace, they did have a form of slavery. It was what we'd call indentured servitude. If you owed someone money, you couldn't repay it, then you would go and work for them until you had paid the debt off. 
they weren't allowed to be abusive and to, you know, um, cruel or anything like that. But it was a way of paying off your debt. Uh, but you could not keep someone in, in that condition in perpetuity. So there was this year of Jubilee when slaves were allowed to go free. And this is Jubilee language. Jesus Christ says, I'm the fulfillment of the year of Jubilee. I'm the one who sets people free from their, their sins. Something far greater than uh, economic or political slavery. Spiritual slavery to, to sin. And then John chapter 8, the verse that I read earlier, verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And then he says this, verse 35, The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, it's only the Lord Jesus Christ who can set us free from being slaves to sin. And he makes us sons and daughters. He brings us into the family of God. But let me say, uh, if you're not a Christian, I hope that you be honest with yourself and see that you're enslaved to sin. You are not free. You're lying to yourself. Uh, one of the, he has two ways you can tell. When you're afraid, when something bad happens, you get bad news, something goes wrong, you lose your job, you fail an exam, you become ill, girlfriend or boyfriend breaks up with you, what do you turn to? Where do you turn for comfort? What do you go to to say, this will make me, this will, this will help? That's your God, okay? It's your idol. If it's not the Lord Jesus Christ, you're enslaved to sin, whatever it is. Maybe you say, well, it's just dopamine. I just need dopamine. I'm just going to scroll through Instagram, okay? I just need some alcohol. I just need some drugs. I just need people. I just need to, I need to be around people, okay? I need to be socializing. That will make me feel better. See, for the child of God, it's... I turn to the Lord. I turn to Him. The second thing, do you know that you're enslaved, is the very thing that causes you sorrow and heartache and destruction and destroys your relationships will be the thing you turn back to to make you happy. Okay? So you keep going back to the same thing that's causing all the problems. The meat was causing all the problems. They keep going back to it. And in the end, God destroys them while it's coming out their nostrils. That's the, end. That's the end result of sin. Sin, the wages of sin, is death. That's where it always ends. And so if you're there, come to Christ. He has come to set us free. Now the second thing is, for Christians, the reality is that we still wrestle with this. Isn't that right? So let me just say up front... The Bible does not promise the moment you come to Christ, you'll never sin again, if only. <laughs> For some reason, God in his wisdom has chosen to do it differently, that we still fall from time to time. We still sin. It's not our nature anymore. It's not our predisposition. It's not where we live. 
we have a new nature, we have a new heart, but we still have this old nature, and there is a fight between the two. And that's why Paul says, don't yield your members to, to, to those things. Stop doing that. Stop giving sin power over you. You see, that's the difference between, between a non-Christian and a Christian. Uh, Augustine put it this way. He said, uh, after the fall of Adam and Eve, it's not possible to not sin. Okay? It's not possible to not sin. Every human being is now born a slave of sin. But after conversion, it's poss- he says it's possible to not sin. Okay? He's not saying it's perfection. He says it's possible to not sin. Paul says the same thing in Romans 6. Sin shall not have dominion over us. Paul also says, by the grace of God, you can say no to sin. Okay? You could never do that before. And maybe, again, some of you are saying, I did. I, I used to be an alcoholic, but I stopped that. You, all you did is you swapped one God for another God. Okay? You swapped one slave master for another one. I used to teach at a, a preach the gospel at a drug and alcohol uh, rehab. It was not Christian. And, and the director, a lady, she said to me one day, she said, we just want you here because whatever, if they, we just want them to not drink or take drugs, but they can do anything else. We don't care if they just swap it for an addiction to smoking. We don't care if they just swap it for an addiction to something else. Okay? Just, we're just trying to get them to stop doing this. And she just thought religion could be a helpful addiction, you know, uh, to help them like that. But you see, that's the reality. All you've done is swapped it for something else. You're still a slave to something else. It's only Christ who can change the heart and gives us grace to say no to sin. Don't be discouraged. I know sometimes it's easy to become discouraged and say, but I keep falling in this. Believe God's word that you, you can say no to sin. You can have victory by God's grace because he came to set us free. And then... The full expression of that freedom will be at the resurrection. Okay? Or if you die and go to heaven, or the Lord returns. And Augustine says this. Uh, he basically says, it's impossible to sin. Okay? At that moment, you will never be able to sin ever again. Okay? Never. Not even tempted. Isn't that amazing? You'll have a glorified body. Never ever sin again. Never have to fight sin again. Never get up and think, sure, I have to fight today. It will be finished. You will be absolutely free from the power of sin, from the presence of sin, from the penalty of sin. It will all be be done away with. Amen. Let's, Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you have come to set us free from the power of sin. Uh, Satan is a cruel taskmaster. There is no mercy, there is no grace, there is no rest. Because we bear your image, he, he seeks our total annihilation and destruction and sorrow and misery. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have come to set us free from that. You've come to save us from that, that we don't need to be in bondage to these these things, that we can be truly liberated. Lord, we cry out to you that if there are any here who are still in their sins, still enslaved, 
still deceived. That you, by your Spirit, would open their eyes and liberate them and free them. And for your children, that we would know the truth of this, that we would hold on to your promises in Scripture, that we would learn to say no to sin more and more and weaken its power over us, Lord. And thank you that uh, there is a day coming when sin will be eradicated from our lives, from our community, from our world. And so we look forward to that day. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were, in a sense, gave up your freedom. You allowed yourself to be nailed to a cross. You allowed yourself to be humiliated and forsaken so that we might go free. We praise you for this. Amen.